0: Welcome to Customer Value Cast, a podcast dedicated to helping you acquire, retain, and expand more customers by putting measurable value at the heart of your customer life cycle. Join our host, Ross Fulton, founder and CEO of ValueWise, as he dives deep into how reoccurring revenue businesses are maximizing their growth and valuations with the industry's leading experts and pioneers. Welcome to the latest episode here of the Customer Value Cast, the show from ValueWise. It's dedicated to putting measurable value at the heart of your customer life cycle so you can create more value for those customers and retain and expand revenue from those customers. Today, very excited to be joined by Samrat Tandon, who is the VP of Customer Success at Siemens Digital. And Samrat, it been a pleasure to be able to connect with you and collaborate with you over the last uh, almost a, a year now. So very excited to have you on the value cast and I know we've got a super interesting topic to drill into. But Samrat, for those who haven't had the good fortune of being able to connect with you prior to this uh, podcast, maybe share a little bit bit about yourself and your journey in customer success and technology and we will uh, pick it up from there.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ross, and uh, you know, it's been a great partnership with ValueEyes. You guys added tons of value to our journey mapping process uh, while I was at Vertex, so I appreciate you and your phenomenal team at ValueEyes. So about me, you know, I've been in IT industry for almost 30 years now. 20 of those uh, spent in leading global teams, customer-facing teams, you know, all the way from I've run support teams, uh, consulting teams, technical account management, customer success... And you know we've evolved through each one of those journeys. Uh, worked for many large companies, including Converges, which doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it was the largest data center operator in the world, 70,000 employees. Moved to Citrix. I think everybody knows about Citrix. Uh, spent almost eight, nine years at Citrix. Moved to Vertex, and now here I'm here at Siemens. So glad to be here. Just completed my one month at Siemens. Uh, Still uh, drinking from that proverbial fire hose, and um, you know enjoying every moment of it. So, so thanks for having me, Ross.
0: No, it's a pleasure, and a fantastic set of experiences there that I know have culminated into just some incredible results that you've delivered for the companies you've worked with, and been an incredible leader to those teams. And yeah, you use the word evolution. I think a very very. Excellent strong word to describe not just what's happened over the last 30 years, but what's feeling like is happening quarter on quarter within the domain of uh, companies looking to succeed as recurring revenue enterprises, how customer success is rapidly evolving. And the last two, three episodes or thereabouts that we've done on Customer Value Cast have really increasingly orientated around this theme of revenue, revenue accountability, revenue contribution, revenue attribution around customer success. And we're going to take another dip into that subject today, specifically on the subject of customer success qualified leads. And that as a strategic motion, I don't think there's sure there's tactical elements to bringing the strategy to life, but it really is a strategic motion because of the power that this CSQL motion can create as a channel for driving expansion revenue, driving net dollar retention inside enterprises. And I know it's a strategy, Samrat, that you've really driven a ton of success around so getting deep into okay w- w- what is the csql strategy all about and how have you found it to be successful what are the lessons learned i think will create a ton of value for our audience here But so let's take a step back first and csql customer success qualified lead but w- what would you sort of frame as being the way to think about a, what csqls mean what the definition of csql is and we'll work our way from that
1: Yeah, before we dive into that, you know, there really are two schools of thoughts uh, when it comes to CSMs, you know, one school of thoughts is no revenue attached to CSMs, and they're very focused on adoption and onboarding motions of uh, CSM, very little on on expansion. I personally believe, you know, CSMs are such a unique vantage point, sitting with customers on those regular cadence calls and QBRs and ABRs and working on those customer success plans having a vision to, you know, where the customers are headed. So it's just natural for CSMs to be identifying those leads and feeding that back into the sales organization. And you know, we, in my previous company, we became a major funnel feeder for sales organization. And basically, CSQL is really exactly what the name suggests, the customer success generated qualified leads. And these are very, very highly qualified leads. We had tremendous success. I mean, it took us a couple of years. Now it was without challenges. You know, it's not something natural that comes to CSMs. So, you know, we can talk through all of that, uh, Ross, you know, as we go through this episode, but uh, I can share a few numbers with you, Ross. You know, so we started in about two years, you know, as soon as I best joined Vortex. We introduced this concept of CSQL. But then we had to change the mindset, right? We had to change the mindset of the sales organization and to start considering us as a valid funnel feeder, and then also to change the mindset of the team. So, what I did to change the mindset of the team, which was more difficult because historically they had not been so focused on identifying leads, so they were doing it here and there, but it wasn't well established. So, we gamified the whole thing, right? So, we introduced a Lead generation incentive plan was um, anywhere from $75 to thousand plus dollars that you'd give for each lead they submit and they only get paid if that lead converts into a sale. And, you know, so it did just, and then on a monthly basis, we published the leaderboard of, you know, who submitted the most leads, whose leads got converted the most, right? So it started a little bit of competition between the teams and uh, we really made a big deal about celebrating those successes and really identifying those people who, who are providing those leads. So that kind of helped change the mindset of CSMs okay, I'm doing now, you have to be very careful and it's a tight rope that you're to walk. You don't want your CSMs to become sellers and lose their trusted advisor status. So my feedback to the team always has been that, you know, I give this example often. Imagine your customer is trying to open a screw and your company sells a screwdriver, so don't hide that screwdriver from your customer, help them open that screwdriver. So you're not selling at that point, you're helping them solve a problem. So understand customer problems, and if you have products and tools in your bag that can help solve that problem and help customer progress, use that. So don't become a seller, Identify that as an opportunity, feed that back into the sales organization and help. And that also helped us gain a trust factor with sales teams. So initially, as a CSM being a young function, you know, you do get a lot of objection and, you know, kind of pushback from internal teams sometimes. And especially sales team, because they maintain that relationship with customers. And now you introduce CSM function and they are a bit skeptic about, okay, what are you doing with my customer, right? It's my baby. I'm not gonna let you touch it. So you go and you, know, you start earning that trust, not only with customer, because you're solving problems for them, but you also earn that trust back into the organization with your sales team. So you you earn that seat at the table and they start treating you as an account team. And once we started this motion, it started coming, we saw about 400% growth in our net revenue contribution from CS team. These are highly, highly qualified leads. We saw close to 50% conversion rate on these leads. I'll so compare that to marketing uh, MQLs, you know, marketing qualified leads at about 2%, right? So very valid leads. And not only that, one third of these leads were closed within the same quarter in which they were entered. I'll compare that to about 18 to 24 month sales cycle for most of the leads and that comes to marketing. So it's been a great source of revenue for us and uh, my previous company So working on introducing something similar here as well. So, you know, it's still too early to do that.
0: Yeah, no, there are compelling metrics. And I think you call out something very important around the hearts and minds, kind of cultural element around this concept of generating or flagging leads and there being potentially the competitive elements to that around, well, hey, I want that attribution around lead generation versus the, I guess, the trust of, the lead as a salesperson who's then going to accept that lead and drive it through hopefully to conversion to a close, but trust by meaning, well, should I prioritize that lead over this lead and over this lead based on how much time I've got to spend as a sales professional on pursuits and conversions? But when you start generating those metrics, then... the doubts the questions the lack of trust is going to melt away so huge kudos to you and the team that you drove at vertex on those numbers love the gamification piece in terms of hey look we're not going to give you a bag to carry as a csm with a quota this is this is all value add but yes we'll give you some sugar on top of this should we be able to as a business convert these leads to what extent was there also a hearts and minds exercise within the csm so there's dollar incentivization hey this is worth your time but also i think you hit a very acute factor that i think a lot of cs organizations and leaders and just generally post sales organizations and leaders are very cognizant of which is that positioning of themselves with their accounts And the sales-esque culture, and does that erode my standing? Does that erode how I perceive myself as a customer success professional? Because I'm here sort of mentally feeling like I'm sniffing around trying to find leads, which I fully agree there's a completely different psychological way of thinking about this. But I'm curious, yeah, what the cultural dynamic was in Vertex when you introduced this program and how that sort of evolved beyond sort of the incentivization piece.
1: Initially, sales was pretty skeptic. It's what they do, you know. And and it's a change in thinking from Mm -hmm. introducing that hunter-farmer model, right? Sales should be hunting and finding new logos and, you know, going after new business. And in many companies that have been, sales ends up getting stuck in nurturing and harvesting existing. it's easy, right? You have an existing customer and you keep harvesting that customer now. A lot of companies are changing their compensation around sales and really pushing them to be more hunters rather than farmers. And that's coming in the industry, but you know, it's still slow adoption. And when you have that motion where sales is still trying to harvest and nurture customers and you introduce CSM in that motion, there's natural conflict. But the difference is, you know, that, that becomes very obvious once you start doing some of these things that we talked about. Customers are more trusting of CSMs than of salespeople because they generally feel that, you know, if I say something that I'm about to do to a seller, they're going to immediately start selling me something. Whereas if I tell something to a CSM, they're going to try to help me solve that problem. And that may include some solution from your own company, but generally speaking, you know we want our CSMs to be thought leaders and you know industry experts and in advising our customers on how to solve for that problem. And it takes time. There's no magic pill for that. You got to work hard at it. And you know CSMs have to build that relationship with salespeople and earn their trust internally and uh, you know drive through all of that. So yeah, it it definitely wasn't easy, and then it wasn't easy for CSMs, right? So. We had multiple products. So what we did was we started creating a sort of a product penetration matrix. So if you are in technology industry and you're using product X um, and you're a particular size of industry and, you know, a size of customer in in a certain geo, we would expect you to have four of our products instead of one. enabling CSMs with that knowledge is very powerful because then they can identify use cases, they can talk to their peers with the customers who are using four products and say, why are they using four products and why is my customer only using one product, right? So they can then start inserting those products in their conversation and say, hey, by the way, there are other peers of yours who are benefiting from these features which are available in other products that you may not be using. Right, So that was a lot of training process that went into it. And you know, I was uh, super proud of my leadership team. And it really takes a lot of effort from the, those leaders to communicate that back into the CSM organization to each individual CSM and really walk them through how you're going to do that. So, so it's, it's a whole cultural change top to bottom. Yeah, I think it's a
0: a great observation and there's been this proliferation of the value selling motion and strategy and approach in sales, not to say it's a brand new concept, but it seems to have just exploded in the last two plus years. And I think it's a, it's just a very inevitable and important transition for that to start to move into post-sales world and it not be so much about value selling, but I don't want to get lost in the semantics, but it, it is more about value consulting. It's about advising the client or the customer on the next best outcome. And yes, there's an investment to be made to get to that next best outcome, but based on our understanding of you as our customer and your outcome achievement to date, let me talk to you and advise you in quotation marks, sell to you the next best outcome, the next value as a trusted advisor, as you described, Samrat. And should there be some interest from the customer on that next best outcome, then yes, you have your CSQL, which is great. And I'm seeing that transition and that mindset start to shift. There's a number of leaders out there that are really driving that, including yourself. Yeah, one thing I would say,
1: Ross, that's also very important is, you know, from internal alignment, there are multiple... Sources of lead, right? So there are multiple stakeholders to a lead. So, you know, marketing could have sent a marketing email out. And now if that customer converted, and CSM says, well, they are a lead because I spoke to them as a follow up to your marketing email. And that's really what, you know, they haven't even looked at the email. So those are little things. But they bubble up very quickly because once you start talking about attribution and you start claiming that, you know, I'm contributing to this. So what we had was a third party. So we had inside sales kind of be the mediator and provide that attribution. So, you know, we'll submit leads and if somebody else had submitted the same lead, they would be the mediator. So. Having that kind of a structure in place is also important to at least in the beginning, you know, until you gain trust and validation that okay, you know, you're genuinely putting those leads out. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. So it's it's important
0: to have a neutral third party doing the attribution for for you and the company. Now, that's a fantastic call out and very preemptive of where I thought we could go next, which is the kind of the governance around that CSQL. Process and I, I, a lot of my career has been on that sales side of the fence. And so, and what we have inside ValueWise is this governance and conversion process in terms of an MQL hits criteria ABC for it to convert into a sales accepted lead. It's got to hit criteria XYZ and so on, so on. And that being extremely necessary because we can, as a CS professional, we'll be able to look at a customer and say, that clearly is the next best outcome. There's the ROI for the customer, et cetera, et cetera. That isn't all we need in place to be able to actually create a sale. We need decision-making understood. We need access to decision-makers. We need to understand the budget landscape, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious, Samra, and Vertex, in terms of that criteria around, hey, what did a CSQL need to meet to be eligible for submitting and then what was maybe criteria beyond that in terms of sales accepting that lead and deciding to hey we're going to spend some time converting it what that criteria looked like was it just inherited from the net new sales motion from mql to sal to opportunity or was there something more specific developed for CSQLs?
1: we actually just plugged into the existing sales lead process which was coming in from MQLs as well as from our insight sales and um, you know business development consultants. So all of that we just tagged onto that process. The only thing was the gate to entry was the attribution and we gave that to insight sales. So just because we needed neutral party. But ultimately, it just followed the same and we use salesforce.com and, you know, we've just submitted an SFDC and it would first get vetted by Insight Sales, they'll just kind of do basic qualification to make sure, you know, it's a duplicate lead or any of those things. And then they'll just convert it into an opportunity and, you know, and those opportunities then get fed into the sales team. And, you know, depending on how big the opportunity is, we had different sales teams to either go to the inside sales team or it would go to the account exec who was on that particular account. Now we had to do a little bit of our own governance as well to make sure we are tracking, you know, for our leaderboard perspective, because, you know, well, once you start those gamification, People get very attached to those things. And if there's something that's often in reporting in SFDC, so I did have some maintenance overhead. I had one person who was regularly ensuring that, you know, the data in SFDC is correct and you know you're not missing anything from that perspective. So yes, as governance is super important and you know, you gotta work across all these different teams to make sure things are progressing. And the other thing we did was, you know, I had a really great CSOps team. And they built me some dashboards. They created this kind of a flow chart, which would say, okay, this lead came in here and in this quarter and closed in this quarter. So I could actually track every lead that was submitted by CS team. And if there were deals that were just stuck in like, let's say 10%, 15%, not moving forward, we'd do a monthly review of those and we'll reach out to the sales leadership and say, hey, what's going on here? Because, you know, we are happy to broker that call and move these deals forward. So that was another aspect of it. And, you know, I rolled not end at just submitting the lead, but, you know, if sales needed help in brokering those conversations or bringing that person to a call where, you know, they can have a further conversation we would help facilitate that as
0: well. Yeah, really interesting. And that's very, very important for us to, Dig into uh, what you've just covered around the operationalization of the CSQL motions. You've got the culture and the change management. You've got the actual strategy and approach. But how do we operationalize this to make sure it's scalable, measurable, trackable, governable and orientating around Salesforce like you did is a very achievable way for a lot of companies listening to this show because they have those same tools available. At their disposal and i think yeah that gamification piece around the governance to ensure that people weren't at risk of experiencing any concept of being shortchanged or cheated out of a win or out of a, a victory that moves them up the leaderboard i think is is so important and uh, maybe erring on the side of over recognition and over sort of attribution than trying to sort of really nickel and dime it and to say well let's we can only be one person so we've got to make sure we get this right which i have seen companies do and i'm like what is the value of doing that relative to what is actually the small cost of saying okay yeah, you both get that that's all good great job <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah
1: there, there were some situations but you know you just it's small cost to right. You're absolutely right Ross. us and that's actually another factor you know when i initially launched this you know we also had to get budget approval. now you're adding to the cost of sale so <laughs> you know so that comes from cards so i had to get Get a justification put together and really put a business plan to sell it internally and go really to the CRO and say, you know, you're going to be doing this and that's going to add to cost. But it was such a minimal cost. And, you know, once we we started piloting it for one year and then we just kept renewing it because the benefit, the ROI and that minimal investment was just humongous.
0: So, you know, it, it made complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because I've, whether it be in the sort of CSQL context or other similar contexts where you've got this gamification within a sales sort of orientated strategy, you sometimes have just the one, two, three team members who just, they're just so light years ahead of everyone else as it relates to a taking the game seriously and B, being really good at the game. And then there's this long tail over everyone else versus sort of the more think, healthy and appealing Okay, you've got your top performers, and then you've got your people trying to be the top performers, but everyone's engaged, everyone's playing the game, and you don't have maybe sort of single points of failure to say, well, if we lose that person, if that person wins the lottery and goes and uh, lives on a tropical island and leaves us, then suddenly this whole CSQL strategy starts to fall apart. What was the case in Vertex in terms of that distribution of people engaging and performing within the game? Yeah, there will always be some star
1: performance yeah. right, in every company and they just, you know, you see them always popping up uh, to the top of the leaderboard every month. So what we had was, you know, we also, of course, we didn't assign any quota, but we did have some soft targets for our teams based on products up front. And it was soft, so they weren't dinged, but it was part of priorities that we set for our teams. And, you know, based on that penetration dashboard of sorts, we You know, where their customers were in the portfolio of accounts, and it wasn't specific to each account, but in the portfolio of accounts, you expected, let's say, 120% NRR. So we gave them a blueprint of how to achieve that 120% by potentially talking about these additional products. In your daily conversation. So that kept everyone honest and also everyone invested in moving forward because, you know, in their KPIs at the end of the day, in their portfolio of accounts and not achieving that 120%, then, you know, the managers would have a conversation to understand, okay, how can we help you and where are you struggling? And, you know, and sometimes it's genuine that, you know, there's no genuine need. So we don't want them to push uh, artificially in those situations and that's okay. But At least that gave a baseline and some guidance as to, you know, some ring fencing around. So you don't have those people who are just completely ignoring because now it's a game and only three people are going to win this. I have no chance, so why even try, right? So you still had a floor to achieve, right? you got to achieve that 120% NRR. How do you get there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And that blueprint uh, just would love to drill into that as we start to wrap up here because that points to the theme that you've touched on a couple of times which is enablement and again everyone at whatever people who have played uh, in and had experience within the sales profession are going to be very familiar with the concept of sales enablement and that being a very important highly invested in strategy inside product enterprises whether it be enablement on the latest and greatest of that product and how that translates into value propositions and, and selling playbooks versus, hey, these new products and add this to your toolkit. Within the journey you had here with this CSQL motion and Vertex, to what extent can you share that you plugged into the sales enablement machine of Vertex versus no, we had a sort of a more independent enablement motion that we developed because it made more sense for certain reasons. Because I think that, Again, we look at a lot of companies and knowing Vertex is is the answer to this, but it's very good around this area. But we see a lot of companies that have siloed that sales enablement from CS, yet they want CS to be driving CSQLs. And I'm kind of unfair, just... (laughs) So we took kind of a hybrid approach.
1: So, you know, we really didn't want CSMs to become sellers. So, you know, we didn't want them to really start talking sales language, Mm -hmm. you know. However, you know, we hired our sales team, our sales enablement team, Partner with a third party training company to come in and train our sales team. We hired the same team, the same company to come and talk to CSM separately and really educate them on how to listen for keywords, right? Not to sell, but how to pay attention to keywords and what are the trigger words that you can use to drive the thought process with the customers. Not selling, but really in conversation how are you bringing up these products which may benefit your customers when you know the customers inside out you know what they're trying to achieve and you know how do you introduce those products that they may not currently have so it was a separate it was the same company but as a matter of fact i wanted to build it to the next level and we we talked about it, Ross, to engage value wise to help us in enablement as well, you know, so that's Mm -hmm. where we're looking at potentially three types of training for our teams. You know, we have the technical training, of course, you know, understanding the features and functionality of our products, not solving tickets, but understanding features and functionality, but then all the job aids, you know, how to do their daily job. And third is soft skills. And between the job aid and soft skills, somewhere in between there is, you know, where we talk about the listening capabilities and connecting those dots to your product capabilities and we started talking about that and then i left the company so <laughs> <laughs> now we got to finish
0: that discussion no, I <laughs> say, one day we'll get back there in other ventures but uh, no i think the plan was spot on in terms of connecting okay we've got product we've got a customer we've got our ability to sort of cultivate with them a conversation around value what is the intersection between the, all of that is the actual outcome we call those value based outcomes and value wise and really having that as a foundation for the value engineering the value consulting the value selling whatever we'd like to call it so we're not value selling features nor are we value selling kind of big hairy grandiose intangible strategic goals we're selling very specific measurable outcomes that tied to that feature arming the uh, the cs organization with that ability to have that conversation is i think an imperative and i think you're, you're calling out think we'll make it a final point, that this is about listening and having conversations. That's where these CSQLs do come from and how they're then sort of developed into, into more tangible opportunities. So that listening acumen, that that sort of discovery competency, so, so important. And I think it's a fascinating landscape when you start to look at the role of conversational intelligence inside companies. So you start to think about technologies like gong which have for a long time now been used to sort of drive intelligence around this the core sales motion of having these types of conversations with both net new prospects and customers but really starting to apply that conversational intelligence to more of these outcome-based conversations that CF professionals are having and using that to really scale and just upgrade the intelligence around these csqls i think is a very very compelling opportunity that i know is real through the technology and with leaders like yourself, Samrat, and I think something that we'll see a lot more of in the industry.
1: Yeah, at the base of all of this, Ross, is really, you know, your customer's best interest. You know, you gotta keep that in mind, you know. Everything else falls in place if you're just trying to, as a CSM, if you're just focused on driving those business outcomes for customers, all these are tools to get there. But you know, CSQL is a byproduct of driving customer outcomes, in my opinion. So, you know, don't focus too much on CSQLs as the only thing you want to do, focus on driving customer outcomes,
0: use CSQL as a tool to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well well said. So Samrat, we'll wrap it up there, really appreciate the time and all the value and insights you've shared. For anyone that is listening or watching and would maybe like to connect with you in case there's a chance for them to ask you some follow-up questions. How can people best find you?
1: Yeah, they can connect me on LinkedIn. You know, that's probably the best way to reach out to me, and you know, I'll entertain those questions. So thanks, Ross.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, I appreciate it, Samrat. Right? Always, I love our conversations, always, and our collaboration. Excited to see the trail you're blazing now in demons. And we'll look forward to hopefully future episodes on uh, many other interesting subjects. For everyone uh, that's joined today, if you're listening to this, watching this, thanks for joining. Check out valuewise.co for a ton of resources and eBooks around a lot of the subjects and concepts Samra and I touched on today. In the meantime, valuewise yourself, valuewise your customers, and we'll see you next time.